section thirty of the fortunes of nigel by sir walter scott this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter twenty eight ye towers of julius london's lasting shame with many a foul and midnight murder fed gray such is the exclamation of gray bandello long before him has said something like it and the same sentiment must in some shape or other have frequently occurred to those who remembering the fate of other captives in that memorable state prison may have had but too much reason to anticipate their own the dark and low arch which seemed like the entrance to dante's hell to forbid hope of regress the muttered sounds of the warders and petty formalities observed in opening and shutting the grated wicket the cold and constrained salutation of the lieutenant of the fortress who showed his prisoner that distant and measured respect which authority pays as a tax to decorum all struck upon nigel's heart impressing on him the cruel consciousness of captivity i am a prisoner he said the words escaping from him almost unawares i am a prisoner and in the tower the lieutenant bowed and it is my duty he said to show your lordship your chamber where i am compelled to say my orders are to place you under some restraint i will make it as easy as my duty permits nigel only bowed in return to this compliment and followed the lieutenant to the ancient buildings on the western side of the parade and adjoining to the chapel used in those days as a state prison but in ours as the mess-room of the officers of the guard upon duty at the fortress the double doors were locked the prisoner ascended a few steps followed by the lieutenant and a warder of the higher class they entered a large but irregular low-roofed and dark apartment exhibiting a very scanty proportion of furniture the warder had orders to light a fire and attend to lord glenvarlock's commands in all things consistent with his duty and the lieutenant having made his reverence with the customary compliment that he trusted his lordship would not long remain under his guardianship took his leave nigel would have asked some questions of the warder who remained to put the apartment into order but the man had caught the spirit of his office he seemed not to hear some of the prisoner's questions though of the most ordinary kind did not reply to others and when he did speak it was in a short and sullen tone which though not positively disrespectful was such as at least to encourage no farther communication nigel left him therefore to do his work in silence and proceeded to amuse himself with the melancholy task of deciphering the names mottoes verses and hieroglyphics with which his predecessors in captivity had covered the walls of their prison-house there he saw the names of many a forgotten sufferer mingled with others which will continue in remembrance until english history shall perish there were the pious effusions of the devout catholic 
poured forth on the eve of his sealing his profession at tyburn mingled with those of the firm protestant about to feed the fires of smithfield there the slender hand of the unfortunate jane grey whose fate was to draw tears from future generations might be contrasted with the bolder touch which impressed deep on the walls the bare and ragged staff the proud emblem of the proud dudleys it was like the roll of the prophet a record of lamentation and mourning and yet not unmixed with brief interjections of resignation and sentences expressive of the firmest resolution in the sad task of examining the miseries of his predecessors in captivity lord glenvarlock was interrupted by the sudden opening of the door of his prison room it was the warder who came to inform him that by order of the lieutenant of the tower his lordship was to have the society and attendance of a fellow prisoner in his place of confinement nigel replied hastily that he wished no attendance and would rather be left alone but the warder gave him to understand with a kind of grumbling civility that the lieutenant was the best judge how his prisoners should be accommodated and that he would have no trouble with the boy who was such a slip of a thing as was scarce worth turning a key upon there giles he said bring the child in another warder put the lad before him into the room and both withdrawing bolt crashed and chain clanged as they replaced these ponderous obstacles to freedom the boy was clad in a grey suit of the finest cloth laid down with silver lace with a buffed coloured cloak of the same pattern his cap which was a montero of black velvet was pulled over his brows and with the profusion of his long ringlets almost concealed his face he stood on the very spot where the warder had quitted his collar about two steps from the door of the apartment his eyes fixed on the ground and every joint trembling with confusion and terror nigel could well have dispensed with his society but it was not in his nature to behold distress whether of body or mind without endeavouring to relieve it cheer up he said my pretty lad we are to be companions it seems for a little time at least i trust your confinement will be short since you are too young to have done aught to deserve long restraint come come do not be discouraged your hand is cold and trembles the air is warm too but it may be the damp of this darksome room place you by the fire what weeping ripe my little man i pray you do not be a child you have no beard yet to be dishonoured by your tears but yet you should not cry like a girl think you are only shut up for playing truant and you can pass a day without weeping surely the boy suffered himself to be led and seated by the fire but after retaining for a long time the very posture which he assumed in sitting down he suddenly changed it in order to wring his hands with an air of the bitterest distress and then spreading them before his face wept so plentifully that the tears found their way in floods through his slender fingers nigel was in some degree rendered insensible to his own situation by his feelings for the intense agony by which so young and beautiful a creature seemed to be utterly overwhelmed and sitting down close beside the boy he applied the most soothing terms which occurred to endeavour to alleviate his distress and with an action which the difference of their age rendered natural drew his hand kindly along the long hair of the disconsolate child 
the lad appeared so shy as even to shrink from this slight approach to familiarity and yet when lord glenvarlock perceiving and allowing for his timidity sat down on the farther side of the fire he appeared to be more at his ease and to hearken with some apparent interest to the arguments which from time to time nigel used to induce him to moderate at least the violence of his grief as the boy listened his tears though they continued to flow freely seemed to escape from their source more easily his sobs were less convulsive and became gradually changed into low sighs which succeeded each other indicating as much sorrow perhaps but less alarm than his first transports had shown tell me who and what you are my pretty boy said nigel consider me child as a companion who wishes to be kind to you would you but teach him how he can be so sir my lord i mean answered the boy very timidly and in a voice which could scarce be heard even across the brief distance which divided them you are very good and i am very unhappy a second fit of tears interrupted what else he had intended to say and it required a renewal of lord glenvarlock's good-natured expostulations and encouragements to bring him once more to such composure as rendered the lad capable of expressing himself intelligibly at length however he was able to say i am sensible of your goodness my lord and grateful for it but i am a poor unhappy creature and what is worse have myself only to thank for my misfortunes we are seldom absolutely miserable my young acquaintance said nigel without being ourselves more or less responsible for it i may well say so otherwise i had not been here to-day but you are very young and can have but little to answer for oh sir i wish i could say so i have been self-willed and obstinate and rash and ungovernable and now now how dearly do i pay the price of it pshaw my boy replied nigel this must be some childish frolic some breaking out of bounds some truant trick and yet how should any of these have brought you to the tower there is something mysterious about you young man which i must inquire into indeed indeed my lord there is no harm about me said the boy more moved it would seem to confession by the last words by which he seemed considerably alarmed than by all the kind expostulations and arguments which nigel had previously used i am innocent that is i have done wrong but nothing to deserve being in this frightful place tell me the truth then said nigel in a tone in which command mingled with encouragement you have nothing to fear from me and as little to hope perhaps yet placed as i am i would know with whom i speak with an unhappy boy sir and idle and truantly disposed as your lordship said answered the lad looking up and showing a countenance in which paleness and blushes succeeded each other as fear and shamefacedness alternately had influence i left my father's house without leave to see the king hunt in the park at greenwich there came a cry of treason and all the gates were shut i was frightened and hid myself in a thicket and i was found by some of the rangers and examined and they said i gave no good account of myself and so i was sent hither i am an unhappy a most unhappy being said lord glenvarlock rising and walking through the apartment nothing approaches me but shares my own bad fate death and imprisonment dog my steps and involve all who are found near me 
yet this boy's story sounds strangely you say you were examined my young friend let me pray you to say whether you told your name and your means of gaining admission into the park if so they surely would not have detained you oh my lord said the boy i took care not to tell them the name of the friend that let me in and as to my father i would not he knew where i now am for all the wealth in london but do you not expect said nigel that they will dismiss you till you let them know who and what you are what good will it do them to keep so useless a creature as myself said the boy they must let me go were it but out of shame do not trust to that tell me your name and station i will communicate them to the lieutenant he is a man of quality and honour and will not only be willing to procure your liberation but also i have no doubt will intercede with your father i am partly answerable for such poor aid as i can afford to get you out of this embarrassment since i occasioned the alarm owing to which you were arrested so tell me your name and your father's name my name to you oh never never answered the boy in a tone of deep emotion the cause of which nigel could not comprehend are you oh, so much afraid of me young man he replied because i am here accused and a prisoner consider a man may be both and deserve neither suspicion nor restraint why should you distrust me you seem friendless and i am myself so much in the same circumstances that i cannot but pity your situation when i reflect on my own be wise i have spoken kindly to you i mean as kindly as i speak oh i doubt it not i doubt it not my lord said the boy and i could tell you all that is almost all tell me nothing my young friend excepting what may assist me in being useful to you said nigel you are generous my lord said the boy and i am sure oh sure i might safely trust to your honour but yet but yet i am so sore beset i have been so rash so unguarded i can never tell you of my folly besides i have already told too much to one whose heart i thought i had moved yet i find myself here to whom did you make this disclosure said nigel i dare not tell replied the youth there is something singular about you my young friend said lord glenvarlock withdrawing with a gentle degree of compulsion the hand with which the boy had again covered his eyes do not pain yourself with thinking on your situation just at present your pulse is high and your hand feverish lay yourself on yonder pallet and try to compose yourself to sleep it is the readiest and best remedy for the fancies with which you are worrying yourself i thank you for your considerate kindness my lord said the boy with your leave i will remain for a little space quiet in this chair i am better thus than on the couch i can think undisturbedly on what i have done and have still to do and if god sends slumber to a creature so exhausted it shall be most welcome so saying the boy drew his hand from lord nigel's and drawing around him and partly over his face the folds of his ample cloak he resigned himself to sleep or meditation while his companion notwithstanding the exhausting scenes of this and the preceding day continued his pensive walk up and down the apartment every reader has experienced that times occur when far from being lord of external circumstances man is unable to rule even the wayward realm of his own thoughts it was nigel's natural wish to consider his own situation coolly and fix on the course which it became him as a man of sense and courage to adopt and yet in spite of himself and notwithstanding the deep interest of the critical state in which he was placed 
it did so happen that his fellow-prisoner's situation occupied more of his thoughts than did his own there was no accounting for this wandering of the imagination but also there was no striving with it the pleading tones of one of the sweetest voices he had ever heard still rung in his ear though it seemed that sleep had now fettered the tongue of the speaker he drew near on tiptoe to satisfy himself whether it were so the folds of the cloak hid the lower part of his face entirely but the bonnet which had fallen a little aside permitted him to see the forehead streaked with blue veins the closed eyes and the long silken eyelashes poor child said nigel to himself as he looked on him nestled up as it were in the folds of his mantle the dew is yet on thy eyelashes and thou hast fairly wept thyself asleep sorrow is a rough nurse to one so young and delicate as thou art peace be to thy slumbers i will not disturb them my own misfortunes require my attention and it is to their contemplation that i must resign myself he attempted to do so but was crossed at every turn by conjectures which intruded themselves as before and which all regarded the sleeper rather than himself he was very angry and vexed and expostulated with himself concerning the overweening interest which he took in the concerns of one of whom he knew nothing saving that the boy was forced into his company perhaps as a spy by those to whose custody he was committed but the spell could not be broken and the thoughts which he struggled to dismiss continued to haunt him thus passed half an hour or more at the conclusion of which the harsh sound of the revolting bolts was again heard and the voice of the warder announced that a man desired to speak with lord glenvarlock a man to speak with me under my present circumstances who can it be and john christie his landlord of paul's wharf resolved his doubts by entering the apartment welcome most welcome mine honest landlord said lord glenvarlock how could i have dreamt of seeing you in my present close lodgings and at the same time with the frankness of old kindness he walked up to christie and offered his hand but john started back as from the look of a basilisk keep your courtesies to yourself my lord said he gruffly i've had as many of them already as may serve me for my life why master christie said nigel what means this i trust i have not offended you ask me no questions my lord said christie bluntly i am a man of peace i came not hither to wrangle with you at this place and season just suppose that i am well informed of all the obligements from your honour's nobleness and then acquaint me in as few words as may be where is the unhappy woman what have you done with her what have i done with her said lord glenvarlock done with whom i know not what you are speaking of oh yes my lord said christie play surprise as well as you will you must have some guess that i am speaking of the poor fool that was my wife till she became your lordship's light o love your wife has your wife left you and if she has do you come to ask her of me yes my lord singular as it may seem returned christie in a tone of bitter irony and with a sort of grin widely discording from the discomposure of his features the gleam of his eye and the froth which stood on his lip i do come to make that demand of your lordship doubtless you are surprised i should take the trouble but i cannot tell great men and little men think differently she has lain in my bosom and drunk of my cup and such as she is i cannot forget that though i will never see her again she must not starve my lord or do worse to gain bread though i reckon your lordship may think i am robbing the public in trying to change her courses 
by my faith as a christian by my honour as a gentleman said lord glenvarlock if aught amiss has chanced with your wife i know nothing of it i trust in heaven you are as much mistaken in imputing guilt to her as in supposing me her partner in it fie fie my lord said christie why will you make it so tough she is but the wife of a clod-pated old chandler who was idiot enough to marry a wench twenty years younger than himself your lordship cannot have more glory by it than you have had already and as for advantage and solace i take it dame nelly is now unnecessary to your gratification i should be sorry to interrupt the course of your pleasure an old widow should have more consideration of his condition but your precious lordship being mewed up here among other choice jewels of the kingdom dame nelly cannot i take it be admitted to share the hours of dalliance which here the incensed husband stammered broke off his tone of irony and proceeded striking a staff against the ground oh that these false limbs of yours which i wish had been hamstrung when they first crossed my honest threshold were free from the fetters they have well deserved i would give you the odds of your youth and your weapon and would bequeath my soul to the foul fiend if i with this piece of oak did not make you such an example to all ungrateful pickthank courtiers that it should be a proverb to the end of time how john christie swaddled his wife's fine lemon i understand not your insolence said nigel but i forgive it because you labour under some strange delusion in so far as i can comprehend your vehement charge it is entirely undeserved on my part you seem to impute to me the seduction of your wife i trust she is innocent for me at least she is as innocent as an angel in bliss i never thought of her never touched her hand or cheek save in honourable courtesy oh ay courtesy that is the very word she always praised your lordship's honourable courtesy ye have cousined me between ye with your courtesy my lord my lord you came to us no very wealthy man you know it it was for no lucre of gain i took you and your swashbuckler your don diego yonder under my poor roof i never cared if the little room were let or no i could live without it if you could not have paid for it you should never have been asked all the wharf knows john christie has the means and spirit to do a kindness when you first darkened my honest doorway i was as happy as a man need to be who is no youngster and has the rheumatism nelly was the kindest and best-humoured wench she might have a word now and then about a gown or a ribbon but a kinder soul on the whole and a more careful considering her years till you come and what is she now but i will not be a fool to cry if i can help it what she is is not the question but where she is and that i must learn sir of you how can you when i tell you replied nigel that i am as ignorant as yourself or rather much more so till this moment i never heard of any disagreement betwixt your dame and you that is a lie said john christie bluntly how you base villain said lord glenvarlock do you presume on my situation if it were not that i hold you mad and perhaps made so by some wrong sustained you should find my being weaponless were no protection i would beat your brains out against the wall ay ay answered christie bully as ye list ye have been at the ordinaries and in alsatia and learned the ruffian's rant i doubt not but i repeat you have spoken an untruth when you said you knew not of my wife's falsehood for when you were twitted with it among your gay mates it was a common jest among you and your lordship took all the credit they would give you for your gallantry and gratitude there was a mixture of truth in this part of the charge which disconcerted lord glenvarlock exceedingly for he could not as a man of honour deny that lord dalgarno and others had occasionally jested with him on the subject of dame nelly 
and that though he had not played exactly le fanfaron des vis qu'il n'avait pas he had not at least been sufficiently anxious to clear himself of the suspicion of such a crime to men who considered it as a merit it was therefore with some hesitation and in a sort of qualifying tone that he admitted that some idle jests had passed upon such a supposition although without the least foundation in truth john christie would not listen to his vindication any longer by your own account he said you permitted lies to be told of you in jest how do i know you are speaking truth now you are serious you thought it i suppose a fine thing to wear the reputation of having dishonoured an honest family who will not think that you had real grounds for your base bravado to rest upon i will not believe otherwise for one and therefore my lord mark what i have to say you are now yourself in trouble as you hope to come through it safely and without loss of life and property tell me where this unhappy woman is tell me if you hope for heaven tell me if you fear hell tell me as you would not have the curse of an utterly ruined woman and a broken-hearted man attend you through life and bear witness against you at the great day which shall come after death you are moved my lord i see it i cannot forget the wrong you have done me i cannot even promise to forgive it but tell me and you shall never see me again or hear more of my reproaches unfortunate man said lord glenvarlock you have said more far more than enough to move me deeply were i at liberty i would lend you my best aid to search out him who has wronged you the rather that i do suspect my having been your lodger has been in some degree the remote cause of bringing the spoiler into the sheepfold i am glad your lordship grants me so much said john christie resuming the tone of embittered irony with which he had opened the singular conversation i will spare you farther reproach and remonstrance your mind is made up and so is mine so ho warder the warder entered and john went on i want to get out brother look well to your charge it were better that half the wild beasts in their dens yonder were turned loose upon tower hill than that this same smooth-faced civil-spoken gentleman were again returned to honest men's company so saying he hastily left the apartment and nigel had full leisure to lament the waywardness of his fate which seemed never to tire of persecuting him for crimes of which he was innocent and investing him with the appearances of guilt which his mind abhorred he could not however help acknowledging to himself that all the pain which he might sustain from the present accusation of john christie was so far deserved from his having suffered himself out of vanity or rather an unwillingness to encounter ridicule to be supposed capable of a base inhospitable crime merely because fools called it an affair of gallantry and it was no balsam to the wound when he recollected what ritchie had told him of his having been ridiculed behind his back by the gallants of the ordinary for affecting the reputation of an intrigue which he had not in reality spirit enough to have carried on his simulation had in a word placed him in the unlucky predicament of being rallied as a braggart amongst the dissipated youths with whom the reality of the armour would have given him credit whilst on the other hand he was branded as an inhospitable seducer by the injured husband who was obstinately persuaded of his guilt End of chapter 28